there's lots of ways companies can contribute to sustainability. And it's not just by cleaning up their own act and polluting less or doing less damage. And it's not just by writing a check to a nonprofit, you know, I kind of call it going away money, where you just kind of <laughs> write a check and say, well, you know, we did our part. Thanks, you guys, you know, let us know how it went. You know, really companies can engage, they can dig in and get their hands dirty, and they can really have a huge impact on some of these major challenges. Hey folks, what's happening? Welcome to Your Forest. My name is Matthew Kristoff, and on this podcast, we talk about the environment and the science of sustainability. Today's episode was a lot of fun. Uh, I got to speak with a gentleman named Jake Keel, and uh, he wrote a book called Waking the Sleeping Giant, Unlocking the Hidden Power of Business to Save the Planet. And I can't begin to explain how how useful it is and how pragmatic it is. It's, it's really... Uh, based in real life and not some kind of philosophical journey, right? Uh, it's real examples and, and, and real cases of when sustainability worked right. And, uh, Jake Keel is an environmental innovator. His efforts in the Dominican Republic with the Grupo Punta Cana Foundation, they've won a bunch of awards for the stuff that they've done down there, the work that they've committed for in the tourism industry down there and environmental sustainability. Jake also directs the Center for Sustainability, which is a think tank that partners with universities to conduct environmental research, and it also helped pioneer one of the Caribbean's largest coral reef restoration projects. Uh, this book tells his story and the story of Grupo Putacana Foundation and how they took their relatively strange situation as a business uh, trying to in the tourism industry and how they made it a story about sustainability and it's it's very real and it basically breaks sustainability down into a way that kind of demystifies it and makes it understandable he breaks it down in a way in which sustainability becomes about just solving problems any problem really and and going about it in a way that makes more sense and just going a little deeper and, and finding better ways of accomplishing things things that are a little outside the box but make complete sense once you do them um yeah and and more a little bit about collaboration or a lot about collaboration i should say and partnerships and acting locally and just all the benefits that come with having a transparent business that does the right thing because it's the right thing and how that pays dividends in the long run fiscally and everything else right like it's it makes a really strong case for sustainability and makes it really hard to argue against any other action it's I, I really enjoyed it it was a great book uh very down to earth uh very pragmatic like i said and uh yeah easy to talk to i really enjoyed our conversation and you guys definitely will as well sponsors for 2021 west fraser is the number one sponsor and i can't thank them enough for their support it has allowed me to do some pretty cool stuff and uh yeah i appreciate them very very much so thanks west fraser Greenlink Forestry is also a sponsor of this podcast. They've been with me since the beginning, and I can't thank them enough for their support as well. Uh, Damaged Timber is the final sponsor. Damaged Timber is a company uh, that they sell damaged timber. Uh, they go out into the bush, cut down wildfire burnt wood, 
bring it back, turn it into stuff you can put into your kitchen. It's awesome. Check them out. Put in your Forest 10 at checkout. Uh, that's at damagetimber.com, and you can get 10% off whatever you order. So, yeah, check them out. They're awesome. And, uh, yeah, without any further messing around, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Jake, demystifying sustainability, making it real, making it doable, making it understandable. Uh, yeah, here we go. Reading this book, it was it, it's came at a, at a good time for me. Um, like we were, we were talking about Laura Calandrella's episode, where and this kind of fits in well to that conversation into you know collaboration and building partnerships and that kind of thing. So it, it came at a great time. And before we dive into your book a little bit, I wanted to just get a little bit of your story and how and why you went down this path of sustainability. You know, like. Also, what keeps you on that path? Not just what motivated you to be here, but what keeps you motivated to continue to do this kind of stuff? Yeah, I think my journey um, was a, just kind of even as a young kid, I was really into nature and being outside. And you know, I think like most kids are just attracted to the outdoors and you know seeing animals. And, and we grew up in, in Southern Florida. Um, and, you know, there's still pretty wild at that point. So there's snakes and lizards all over the place and alligators. And, you know, it was a pretty r- rural place at the time where we were. And so I was just outdoors all the time with my brother and playing outside and fishing. And and really just like there was just the place where we, you know, had our childhood was outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that just seemed like a, a, just a natural thing to me. Um, and you know, later we, when my parents split up, we moved to Massachusetts and we were just kind of outdoors all the time, like out on the ponds and in the marshes and, you know, playing with crabs and fishing and all that stuff. And, uh, and at, at a certain point in school kind of began to get the messaging about environmental issues, um, and, and that nature wasn't just this amazing thing out there, but it was actually highly threatened. There was just these right. major threats facing the environment. And at that time, um, you know, this is in the 80s, in the you know early 90s, the threats were, you know, the ozone depletion and pollution and the deforestation of the rainforest. And th- those were kind of the major concerns. Mm-hmm. And people talked a little bit about climate change, but it still seemed kind of like way out there at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, th- to me, it just made this this kind of connection, it was like a, you know, this moment of realization when I was even just still a pretty young kid that, you know, here's this thing I'm really crazy about doing, being outside, being in the woods and being in the pond and the marsh and the forest. And then it's, you know, these are threatened areas and there are places I've never seen around the world, forests and habitats and coral reefs and things that you read about and see on television and nature programs that I've never had the chance to explore that are, threatened and, you know, and really, you know, at risk of being destroyed. And so that yeah. really struck me as a, as a kid. And I thought, you know, you can either just kind of go through it as through ignorance and just continue to be, you know, in love with nature and be outside, or you can try and do something about it. And so that's what started me on this whole journey, uh, environmental protection and what has evolved slowly into sustainability was really the 
you know, realization that something had to be done. There had to be something uh, that I could contribute in some way or another in, in, you know, actionable items to try and help protect the environment. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of what got me into it. And, uh, you know, from there, you, you, as a young kid, you sort of start and, you know, what can I possibly do? You know, when you're young, you don't really have any skills or knowledge or experience. So yeah, how much trying to you, find your path, right? Where to start? Right. <laughs> how, how much can you actually contribute? Uh, mm-hmm. And I think when I started, I was probably pretty radical at the time. You know, it's like, you know, at defense of the environment at the risk of everything else. Like, who cares about the economy? You know, we have to sacrifice whatever. In yeah. order to protect the environment, a lot of emotion, uh, not a lot of uh, facts. <laughs> yeah, and and also just experience, and you know, yeah. you know, getting to know what happens in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over time, I've realized that you know the the what has fascinated me about the area of sustainability is is trying to find solutions to these very complex challenges that balance the environment with other interests. You know, it's not just the environment. You really need to have, you know, local people and local communities benefiting, whether you're in Nebraska or you're in Dominican Republic. And you really need to have uh, economic growth because, you know, if people can't get ahead in life and can't improve their livelihoods, then, you know, they're not going to have a ton of interest in protecting the environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you've got to have the environment because so much of what our economy and our well-being is dependent on is comes from nature and from the environment. So mm-hmm. this, you know, intellectual challenge of finding this balance between these three really important goals uh, has, has just fascinated me. And it's really, that's my passion and what's driven me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, that's great. And that leads me perfectly into my, my next kind of question. Like, because you have this, this book, Waking the Sleeping Giant, Unlocking the Hidden Powers of Business to Save the Planet, and it's all about sustainability and all that kind of thing. And I thought I'd, I'd get... You kind of answered it already, but I'll ask you anyways and see if you come up with something else. But uh, I wanted to get your definition of sustainability. Yeah, I th- I think you know the, I try not to get too theoretical about it. You know, so you know, people, the yeah. kind of ac- academic exercise behind this, and there's so many changes in terminology and new ideas and new names for very similar things. So I try not to get too bogged down in that. I think. To me, sustainability is really trying to find solutions to big global challenges uh, that balance these interests of economic growth, environmental protection, and you know local communities and the health and well-being of local people. So that's that's where I define it. I try not to get too crazy because you know it, I work in the tourism area, and you know there's sustainable tourism, responsible tourism, geo tourism, eco tourism, and it's like people get so bogged down in these definitions and. Generally speaking, we're talking about the same thing, but yeah. we 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 tend to really you know drill down and then you know it's not this but it's that, uh, and and it's happening a little bit with sustainability. People are getting so bogged down in in you know the the idea and the theory behind it that we're forgetting that you need to have action, you need to have concrete examples of the way this gets done, and that's what I was trying to do with the book is sharing examples of what sustainability actually looks like, like concretely. How do we define it by things that we've created or done and solutions that we've found? Mm-hmm. No, that's that's exactly kind of what I got from from the book, right? Like one quote I actually pulled from you from the book was, sustainability tries to sort out how to achieve abundant and healthy nature while accounting for the ever-expanding footprint of human beings on the planet, which I thought was just this perfect little snippet of like explaining sustainability. Because I think 
like you said, some people take sustainability to mean like, oh, you're a crazy, like radical environmentalist and you don't care about the economy or whatever. And it's like, no, sustainability encompasses all of those things, right? Like they, they, neither one can exist without the other. So it's, I, I really appreciated the, yeah, the, the, you know what I mean? The easy layman nature in which you, you encapsulize that. And yeah, it didn't go to that, that ethereal level of like, well, what is consciousness or whatever? You know what I mean? Like, so, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so I really appreciated that in this book and that, um, the concrete, ex- like the examples that you had, you walked us through the entire journey of, um, and, and, it's Grupo Punta Cana. Right. Uh, that's the, that's the foundation, right? Yeah. That the Grupo Punta Cana is the name of our parent company that I work for. Uh, and Grupo Punta Cana Foundation is sort of the nonprofit division of the company. Okay. Um, yeah. And I think what I think I like also that I've learned about sustainability is to me, sustainability is all about creativity. It's all about, you know, being flexible and finding new ways to do things. And it's, you know, kind of, playing in the gray area and, you know, really celebrating nuance. Uh, And I think in recognizing that each local situation is its own universe, right? So the things that have worked for us in Grupo Punta Cana, I can grow, I can go 10 miles down the road and some of these ideas and things that we've done wouldn't work at all. (laughs) Just 10 miles down the road. So imagine trying to apply it to some other country or some other uh, place. But I think that's what's the beauty for me, in the the whole idea of sustainability, it's really flexible. It's about you know it, using your creativity to come up with solutions for these really complicated challenges, and that's what that I, that's what's really driven me um, towards this field. And it, you know, I, I kind of stand by sustainability even as people are trying to change the name and change it into right. new things. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. No, for sure, I get that. There's a lot of that going on. A lot of trying to uh, change the word so it's less has less of that. Uh contact for the negative context for it right but yeah it's uh no that's what i liked about the book though is that those concrete examples even though they're not familiar to me like i i don't live in the dominican republic i live in the you know in canada and where it's cold and stuff so but they were what they did do was provided some concrete examples of where to start and how to begin and like oh we have this issue of garbage and like okay let's slowly go down that path one step at a time and we have this issue of we have too much seaweed on shore like how do we deal with that and then you and then every problem kind of led into another problem and they all ended up being sustainability issues which was it was really interesting to see the the step-by-step process you took to try to tackle these issues and how it's created this this massive sustainability driver in the region for not just for the company itself but for the local community and all that kind of stuff right so i wanted to talk to you about like this whole idea of locking the hidden power of business to save the planet right i think i think there's people that that understand that that's a potential, right? The businesses are, they have the capacity, but I think there's, I would consider it a misunderstanding that businesses have to be, um, they have to be donating and doing that kind of thing, like just fiscally donating to actual projects to try and get sustainability online. But you've painted a different picture of actual just involvement and engagement that makes it seem a little more doable. Yeah, I, I really believe, um, and you know, this is not to say that companies shouldn't fork over huge amounts of money to solve these problems. Uh, you know, amen. Hopefully, you know, every company 
builds a gigantic, enormous fund uh, to, to fund, you know, problem solving to global challenges. I mean, that would be fantastic. And many companies are starting to do that. Uh, and many individual philanthropists are doing that. But I think the way I visualize the untapped power of companies to solve these challenges is applying this human resources and capital that they they have built into their company um, to different uh, challenges, not just to the challenge of making money or selling a product or marketing a product, but really taking this amazing ingenuity and creativity and innovation that companies have that they're currently applying to many different things. And, you know, there's, there's no problem, uh, but, you know, applying all of your knowledge and your skills to making money and selling a product. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But I think there's also huge room for companies to, you know, make it part of their business to, to solve big environmental and social challenges. And so that's what we've been trying to do uh, when Grupo Punta Cana is, you know, really using the company as a, as a laboratory, using the company as a think tank and using the company sort of as a guinea pig for experimentation. And I don't know my boss or the rest of the people in my company would appreciate that I'm using the company as a guinea pig, but I, <laughs> I really, I really think that's the case. You know, when you yeah. mention the problem of garbage, is there a place on the world around the world that doesn't have some problem with garbage? I mean, even the, the best developed countries, um, there's some issue with garbage. And so there's something yeah. to be learned everywhere. And so I think if companies are really putting their mental energy into solving some of these challenges, we're really going to make some big advances. And so companies can be seen in a bunch of different ways as relate to these environmental and social challenges around the world. Uh, but I think one way that we're not necessarily seeing them as you know innovation hubs for, for solving problems. I think mm -hmm. that's really where... Um, we can do that. We can pull this unique and uh, inherent power that companies have out of them and not necessarily take them out of their goal and their objectives of, you know, being successful businesses. You know, I think Avon Chenard, the founder of Patagonia said, uh, you know, it's, it's fine to be crazy as long as you're successful. Otherwise you're just crazy. You know, <laughs> you, 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 the business has got to work. You can't be, you know, just doing these crazy ideas and you're having your business flop, but the both things got to happen. So I think that's where, um, what I was trying to, the point I try to make in the book is that, uh, there's lots of ways companies contribute, can contribute to sustainability. And it's not just by cleaning up their own act and polluting less or doing less damage. And it's not just by writing a check to a nonprofit, you know, I kind of call it going away money where you just kind of <laughs> write a check and say, well, you know, we did our part. Thanks. You guys, you know, let us know how it went. You know, really companies can engage, they can dig in and get their hands dirty and they can really have a huge impact on some of these major challenges. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's what was kind of empowering about the book was that it brought out those opportunities and, and where those opportunities start small, they can turn into, to, to fiscal benefit as well as community and, and environmental benefit. Right. So it was, it was really cool to watch you connect the dots between all these things. And I've never really seen it. I've never seen an example where, where you've, it's been written down this detailed. Right. So it's really cool to see. And so I want, I imagine you run across people a lot of times, you know, people that run biz CEOs and that kind of thing. Um, 
that probably have questions about sustainability, right? And it's kind of a buzzword, like we said before. Uh, people want to be sustainable. They want to be part of the solution, right? I don't think that it's it's more of a, they don't know where to begin or they don't know. It's the demystifying of sustainability, right? It's this mystified word that we're not really sure how to pin down. Um, so how do you, how would you start to answer the question of, uh, like from a CEO or something like that, of how do I begin to do this and how do I begin to incorporate it into my business so that my business is also successful in the long run and, and, and you know what I mean? Continues to grow as a result of the sustainability, not, not treating sustainability as a cost, but as an actual opportunity. I think the, the key is the, is to keep it as simple as possible and, and, you know, talk to people in the language that they understand. You know, you can't go to a CEO, uh, you know, in most cases, you, it's hard to go to a CEO and start talking about all the reasons why we need to, you know, save the endangered, you know, uh, flying fox and why the company should have this great passion for this issue. You know, it's got to come from the perspective of the company. Like, you know, generally people and especially companies are thinking all the time, what's in it for me? You know, what do I get out of this? That's uh, and, my point. Yeah. Like how, how do you convince them that this is not just the next philanthropist move? This is actually something that is good for business. Yeah. And I think that usually comes in sort of a temperature check of the company. And most companies have some big issue, right? They have some challenge that they constantly face. They have some problem that's just recurring and often, uh, by looking at it through the lens of sustainability, you find uh, some pretty interesting solutions. So I can give some good examples. Um, a lot of companies suffer from you know, brain drain. They lose their personnel regularly. People move on, kind of use them as a stepping stone or get it on their, their CV and then get a better job. And in, in you know, certain markets, there can be fierce competition. You know, in the, the tourism market where I work, uh, it's very competitive. People are always looking to steal each other's good staff, especially in in the region where we are in Punta Cana where we're we're pretty remote we're not out you know in the big city so to get people to move out here and you know commit to being in the tourism industry that you've already kind of got a limited pool and then to keep them and to be able to continue building around them you know it's a big challenge so one of the strategies is how do you get people to really buy in to a company and really feel like they're part of something and get mm -hmm. them to feel like this is not just a job. This is not just a paycheck. This is like a community that I'm part of and I'm solving problems that have a much bigger impact than just me. And people really buy into that. You, you know, it sounds like kind of, you know, Zen, you know, rah, rah stuff, but really. Um, I'm on board. I'm totally yeah. on board. Yeah. yeah. I think people, you, you would just be surprised how often people feel like if they are part of a bigger mission within that company and the company is really committed to something, um, the people will stick with the company and it keeps from having staff turnover. Uh, it keeps from having to constantly retrain people, uh, has it keeps from losing your best people. And, and those are serious costs to company. I mean, keeping yeah. your best people on board for as long as possible is a challenge in a lot of industries and having a, a real mission, uh, you know, a social or an environmental mission is a way to, for, to really, for people to identify with the company. And I think that's even, becoming more and more the case uh, as younger people coming into the workforce are have a much bigger vision for this, right? They're much more into what is this company doing to solve an environmental problem or what is their sustainability commitment or 
Have they made some commitment on, you know, eliminating single-use plastics, the name of specific issue, or uh, what are they doing in their local community? How are they investing? What does their carbon footprint look like? Uh, how do they treat uh, gender issues? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. so many different issues nowadays that companies really have to take a position on, and those can be huge advantages uh, if if you're really thoughtful about it. And so I think that mm -hmm. is, if you're a CEO, you know, and you work in you know, Silicon Valley, and there's major pressure for keeping smart people around, you know, having a, a, a mission driven company with a really good social vision, that can be a huge competitive advantage. And I think that, you know, the key is talking to people and from the place they're at, and really trying to identify the problems that they face without trying to force your point of view or your, uh, your mission on them. You know, and I think that there's a huge potential for that. And I think, you know, CEOs respond to that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. I think that was like perfectly worded. It's, I think that there's, there's an old school way of thinking about a career or a job, right? And people were just thankful to have full-time work, right? And like, ah, I got a paycheck. I got a, you know what I mean? I can go home to my family every night. This is good. Like I better hold on to this. But I think as generations has moved on, we've kind of gotten away from that and more into the, well, what does this do to solve some of the world's problems? How does this fulfill me? How does this make me feel good, right? Like people don't want to go to work and feel like a worker bee. They want to go to work and feel supported and feel uplifted and to feel empowered somehow, right? And I think that's absolutely true in that realistically – you're going to you're going to keep better people if those people feel some kind of loyalty to that company and the loyalty comes through being a part of something bigger right and i i just i love that idea and i think that for companies that don't recognize this they don't recognize that the appreciation of your employees and making them feel part of something bigger part of a, a bigger solution um yeah those companies are going to go you know, belly up at some point. Cause it's just, it's becoming so normalized where people just want that full incorporation of all their ideas into their job, not just have it be a paycheck. Right. So I, I like that a lot. I think you're right. I think sustainability plays a huge role in that and in, in helping people feel that, I don't know, that bigger fulfillment somehow. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think there's so many layers to this too. You know, you can talk about it from, you know, a human resource and uh, you know, keeping your, your talented folks, around because they feel committed to something. I think it also can just be a really powerful part of the company that is a big problem solver. And so we find this all the time, you know, in tourism, we are constantly facing new threats and new risks and new challenges, whether it's, you know, in 9-11, uh, the terrorism attacks that affected tourism. So then you, you've got to adapt right away. So now all of a sudden, we're very concerned about security. So a lot of you know, thought goes into a company of how to become more secure, how to get people to feel like traveling is still safe. Then we have the economic collapse in 2008. And so all of a sudden people are thinking about how can I save a little money, but still have a good vacation? You know, what other things can I do when I travel? Um, then we get into, you know, hurricane events. We're constantly dealing with, you know, the, the different effects of climate change and, and just of being in the tropics. So we're always adapting to tropical diseases, malaria. Uh, we've had a disease called Zika down here a few years ago. We had another one that most people have forgotten about, uh, chikungunya, which we had in the Dominican Republic. Um, we've had now, you know, a global pandemic that's, you know, outsized impact on the tourism industry. So you have all these challenges coming at you constantly. 
And so sustainability really kind of sharpens your skills at responding to big new challenges and being adapt to, being able to adapt to that. And I think a lot of CEOs um, really respond to that language. You know, most CEOs, if you told them, you know, you have a very bureaucratic and slow moving company, they would be horrified. <laughs> you know, <laughs> most CEOs picture their company as agile, flexible, adaptable, you know, can move on a dime. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and those are skills you pick up from adapting in real time and, and sustainability is a big part of that. So I think, you know, it's really, you know, I always think of sustainability as you know, it, it, what, when people ask what it is, it just really depends who you're talking to. <laughs> so if I'm talking oh, to the, sure. if I'm talking to the CEO, it's one thing. If I'm talking to the, you know, VP of marketing, it might be a little bit different. If I'm talking to the maintenance department, it might be something different. So I think, you know, there's a value there for everybody, but it's really trying to find that value and really explain and show people how this can contribute uh, to their problems and to their challenges they face on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you find, as a group of Putacana became more more sustainable with time you guys started to tackle like uh, i can just start to list some of the stuff that you guys did like you started the the local uh well you'd list it the medical stuff the water the everything you you just list the accomplishments they've had and then i'll go on to my question (laughs) i think it's important (laughs) yeah well i think in our case you know we have this very unique history that i that i kind of take through in the in in the book and in waking the sleeping giant our history is basically you know, the eastern end of the Dominican Republic in the 60s was completely uninhabited. And then uh, the founders of our company went about trying to turn it into a tourism destination. And so you can imagine that the only thing they had were challenges in front of them. You know, they had no electricity, they had no water, they had no infrastructure, they had no roads, they had no airport, they had no tourists, they had no city, they had nothing basically. Um, and so all they had was challenges. And as the, as as things continued to evolve and as they had success and as they built an airport and they got roads built and other hotels started to get established and it really started to take off as a tourism destination, the challenges never went away. They just changed. Um, so we had, you know, at the beginning in the early days, we didn't have electricity. Well, now we have electricity, but how do we have clean electricity? Uh, in the early days, we had water, uh, you know, sub underground water and aquifers, but how do we get it? And then once we were able to get it, okay, how do we protect it? So these issues have just continued to evolve over time. And at the very beginning, we had no one living out here. There's no big cities or, or urban centers around. And as tourism grew and as there became more economic opportunity, it was a magnet for people from all over the island, you know, including, you know, Santo Domingo and all the different parts of the Dominican Republic. The DR also shares the island with Haiti. Uh, and so you had a huge influx of people from Haiti and from other parts of the DR. And so as you started to have these urban centers built, you have all kinds of other new challenges that came, whether it was health for the local community or education for kids in these com- communities. Uh, so as each of these successive challenges came about, our company really saw opportunities to to use what we're able to do and what we're capable of as a company to solve you know some of these big challenges. And you know, we didn't get into all of them at once. Um, the company has been around for 50 years. So, you know, when we got into uh, doing coral reef restoration, you know, 16 years ago, uh, I don't know that anybody knew we would be doing it for this long and it would be this much of a, an ongoing commitment. But as we got into it and we got, you know, more experience, got better at it, built up, par- built up partnerships, 
where there were still other challenges out there that needed to be confronted. And so we just kind of gradually kept taking things on um, until now we have this, you know, rather <laughs> all-encompassing uh, portfolio of sustainability projects that go from running uh, two health clinics, uh, running two public schools, uh, managing, uh, you know, full integrated waste management system for our entire resort, uh, influencing water, not just for our property, but also for the entire region, uh, coral reef restoration, working with local fishermen to try and reduce overfishing pressures. I mean, basically working with endangered species like a, the, an endemic hawk species. And it's just been kind of this uh, rambling journey in sustainability where we found that we can add value, we can help create positive change, uh, and we can have an impact and we can still continue to be an extremely successful business. And in fact, in many ways, all of these initiatives have really added to the, you know, the value of the company and made us a much more interesting and much more, um, you know, adaptable and innovative company, but also just a great place to work that people want to be part of. They feel like they're, you know, really contributing to something more important than beyond just the paycheck. Yeah. Well, that's exactly my thought is that this, your entire organization is completely integrated into the local community and the local environment. And you got your hands in everything in the way that you're, you're trying to help solve these issues. Cause you know, if you can solve the issue of, uh, you know, under education or poor water quality for the communities or the, you know, overfishing or all, all these things contribute to, this having a more sustainable area contributes to better business in the end, right? So it ends up being good for everything. But my question was going to be when you have employees that are, that recognize all these things that, that you have a responsible company that's looking at everything and always trying to find ways to solve not just their problems, but local problems. Um, do you find it changes the atmosphere? Does it change? employee appreciation like i guess it does we know we discussed that but does it change the way ideas flow and, and how the business works yeah I, I could give you a good example i think that happened really recently you know and and these are my favorite examples of sort of sustainability initiatives in our company are the ones that i had nothing to do with they're the ones that <laughs> came from some other part of the company that were born of their own uh, of own, your own genius. And then we're kind of brought to us saying, Hey, we're doing this, or we want to do this, or we thought of this. Can you guys help us turn this into like a full fledged project? I love when that happens because it means that your, your company is really assuming sustainability and innovation as like the basic fabric and functioning of the, of the operations. So we had, um, you know, the, the, human resources department, they ran a, a shark tank, you know, kind of a competition for ideas. Uh, and it was all over the company. And the the only requirements was that you had to partner with two other areas. Like you couldn't just be, you know, in the hotel, you had to be the maintenance department, the hotel and somebody else. And the, the winning project was a bartender from the Westin, from the hotel, um, working with someone from the uh, solid waste management from the, the garbage collection company. Um, and working with somebody else who was, I think, in the maintenance department. And these guys uh, figured out, you know, a very, you know, artisanal, uh, small scale uh, project of transforming specific types of plastic that don't have a recycling uh, market, you know, plastics that we can't currently sell as recyclables because we were able to commercially sell 
you know, PET plastic and HDPE plastics, but there are many other types of plastics that just don't have any use. Um, and they, they just become trash or, or whatever else you can find to do with them. And so in this case, these guys said, well, we're not going to touch any of the plastics that have a current value because they'll just be duplicating efforts. Um, but we'll take everything else and we'll try and uh, grind it up, melt it down and turn it into molds and make stuff out of it. And these guys literally were working in, you know, the oven at the hotel. They were using a blender that they bought at the local store and they started <laughs> melting the stuff down and then they started polishing it, you know, and this is all very hand handmade rudimentary, but then they started really getting, you know, fine tuning it. Um, and then they started, you know, making plastic molds for different materials. They won this competition, the shark tank, and then, uh, they, you know, presented it to our executive committee, which is all, you know, the president, VPs and, you know, kind of higher ups in the company. Uh, and then, you know, we did a, a site visit to a plastic recycling company in Central Domingo. We started looking at like what a whole project would look like in terms of buying the equipment and, you know, what kind of materials could we replace within the resort? Um, you know, for example, at the, at the Westin, they use these specific card keys um, that are, you know, magnetized. And in the door, there's a piece of plastic. And if you buy it from the Weston, and this piece of plastic is inc incredibly expensive, but it's basically just a crappy piece of plastic, but it has to be in a certain shape. And so they figured out they could make it on their own and they started replacing it um, and, you know, creating a savings and using something. Uh, but, you know, not to go on and on about this example, but what I really liked about it is one, it just started, you know, it was in the, you know, context of our company and in the different resources of our company. And it wasn't, you know, the eco guy or the sustainability person pushing this initiative. This came right yeah. out of the areas. And they, you know, the bartender said, yeah, I see a ton of plastic bottle caps, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day. And I thought, what a waste. Like, what can we do with these? And that's basically yeah. how it was born. Um, and so if you can get that replicated happening all the time in your company, you know, you really have like a huge potential to, to, to be transformative. Oh yeah, absolutely. But you only get that kind of commitment and that kind of uh, ingenuity when people are committed to the company, right? right? And right. so it's, that's what's interesting about it is that by tapping into this resource, like everybody has ideas, everybody has a different perspective. And when you start to bring those perspectives together, you never know what might be a solution to one of your major problems that your company has. But if you have employees that are dedicated because they believe that this company is is in it to not just make money, but to also do the right thing and, you know, quote unquote, want to get hippie about it, save the planet, right? Right. And right. that's that's what makes people want to commit. It makes people want to, you know, put in the extra hours and the extra effort to try to see that company succeed. And when you have buy-in from the employees to have, you know, they want the company to succeed, then it's way harder to kill that company. It's just, it seems like, it's just hard to for 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 companies to pivot to this point and to to realize this because like that example you gave right as simple as it is it's still very complicated but you needed those people like those specific people to figure it out you're not going to the CEO is not going to sort that out right right so it's it's almost like the sustainability has allowed you to tap into the creativity of your entire staff which is only heightened the total loyalty and the total uh, 
capacity of that company to succeed, right? Which is just, it's, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. And I also, the thing I loved about this example, for example, was the enthusiasm that our CEO and our executive committee had for the project. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's a whole other way of looking at this is like, what the hell are you guys doing? What shouldn't you be selling more beverages and upselling, you know, cocktails right, and, right. you know, and right. saying like, why are you wasting our time solving a bottle cap issues? How about selling more, you know, pina coladas or whatever? Um, but, <laughs> but I think, you know, the enthusiasm the company had was, you know, we want our people thinking and we want our people coming up with solutions, the problems we have and saving us money. And we think that it contributes value around the resort, not just, um, not just, a, you know, in a, from a sales perspective. I think mm-hmm. that creating that environment where innovation is, is thought of as a, as a positive is, is very important. And I think yeah. one of the other upsides of this, you know, is when you look at, a company like ours, like if you think about Grupo Punta Cana, as, as we're known in the Dominican Republic and in the Caribbean and in the sort of hospitality tourism industry, is we are that company that's willing to do things that nobody else is doing. So we are the resort that has, you know, used worm composting to <laughs> to, to transform food waste into compost and then use it on golf courses for fertilizer. We're the company that's allowed the Peregrine Fund to come in and utilize the resort as a wildlife refuge for an endangered hawk species. So we're kind of this quirky space that people know it and they know that we're we're not afraid of, you know, kind of quirky projects and sustainability projects. But that also has an upside of exposing us to a lot of new ideas that, you know, if you're a very staid, you know, kind of, you know, vanilla company that just is all about making money and it's not real uh, real receptive to, to new ideas, then people are not going to bring you new ideas. And so you, you miss out on a lot of potential and a lot of possibilities. So I think that's one of the other upsides of being kind of a pioneer and kind of being, you know, far out there in the world of sustainability is we hear about new crazy ideas probably as soon as they come out, you know, and somebody's trying to sell them to us or trying to partner with us to advance it or, you know, trying to tell us that this would make sense for us and we should do it ourselves. Um, but we get exposure to a lot of unique, you know, ideas and technologies and, and new ide- new projects um, that maybe other types of companies just don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I just, I love the idea and how all-encompassing it is, right? The idea of sustainability and how it encompasses all aspects of everything. It's just, it just heightens everything in the end if you, if you, if it's done thoughtfully, right? Um, I wanted to get into the, a really interesting part of the sustainability question and the sustainability how to is you talked a lot about the integrating of the business into the local community and trying to solve local problems. Um, do you think that's, like like there's such there's such power you mentioned like the the local company has such investment and dedication to that local area that they might be the, they're the ones who can make these changes but it's hard for them to see supporting you know community good as good for business so it's hard to sell to the whatever to whomever right the executives or something like that um how do you start to how do how do companies start to see these collaborations, these partnerships with local community and local just local groups as opportunities instead of just you know what I mean something that's going to cost them money? Yeah, I think it, it it's really clear the relationship uh, with the local community and local environment in tourism, right? You mm-hmm. know, and especially in coastal tourism, like in the Caribbean, where 
people are coming to see the beach and to interact with the local people and the local culture. Um, and they want to hear the local music and the local food. And they, they really want like a local experience, you know, mm-hmm. even if people, you know, are just looking for a safe place to go to the beach in the Caribbean with, you know, a, a really good all-inclusive buffet. Most of those people after a couple of days are going to get bored in the hotel and want to leave and go see something. You know, even the right. least adventurous person is not going to spend <laughs> all 10 days or seven days of their vacation at the resort. Right. And so if you think of it that way, um, then it becomes really important to think about the local community as an extension of the resort, as, as part of your business. The safer it is outside the resort, the more opportunities to interact with local uh, people that the tourists have, um, the more uh, better experiences they have, you know, very positive, fun experiences they can tell other people about. That just builds the destination as a much stronger destination, a better place to go. It makes you more competitive. You know, if you go to destination A and the people just look at tourists and say, here are these gringos, you know, ruining our, our town and, you know, it's terrible. We don't get any benefit out of it. And then you go to destination B and the local community is super welcoming, super fun. They grab the tourists and dance with them on the street and, you know, bring them into their house to feed them coffee and show them the local culture. You know, that really has a big impact on where people want to go, you know, and where what people talk about when they talk about a, a certain place. And I think that's, you know, it's a very key piece of the tourism question. Um, people are looking for new experiences. They're not just looking for, you know, a vacation by itself. They want something they can go home and talk about and they can post on Instagram and they can share with their friends and show you videos of, and, you know, I, I got to do this and nobody, you know, something really unique that I'll remember for the rest of my life. That's what, tourism should be. And so that means, you know, the local businesses really have to invest in that community. You know, if if your local community is people are not healthy, if they, you know, if they're worried about their kids, if they have, you know, somebody has a disease or some kind of health issue, um, those things get reflected in their performance in front of tourists, you know, in their job performance. So I think though in tourism, the case is really clear. Um, You have People traveling from far away to see the local environment, you know, the beaches and the, uh, you know, the freshwater swimming lagoons that we have here and go snorkeling on the reef and all these attractions that you have in the Caribbean and the Dominican Republic. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're also coming to have this experience with the local culture and experience that local food, the local cuisine, local music, the dance, you know, the warmth of the local people. Uh, and so it's in our interest to invest in those two uh, assets in our mm-hmm. human resources and our natural resources. So tourism, the case is super clear. I think in each industry, you have to see it uh, in its own context, you know, whether you're a, a mine and you have to think about what's going on around you. If you're, you know, running a forestry company and you got to, you know, think about the impact on the local community. I think there's always some way that the local community is integrally tied into your business um, and, and you shouldn't and can't really ignore it. And I think it's mm-hmm. in the best interest of companies to, to really identify the ways that the local community impact their business and try and ensure that those become a positive and not a negative. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And beyond just providing jobs, right? Like I feel like beyond that, there's more that companies can do that they will see a return on investment on, right? That's That's evident through the book that the more that companies put into their 
local community, the more they're going to get back from it in the end, right? And it just and then it adds into the 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 employee appreciation and the loyalty and the everything, right? Like it just it all it like I said, it's all it's all encompassing, right? It's very very cool. And th- there was a part in, part in the book where uh, you spoke about a certain gentleman, I believe he was a researcher, and he came to the realization that the local like focusing on a of local very specific area for like conservation purposes for example is the key to to making real change not doing these broad you know these broad strokes of like you know deforestation is bad or whatever but actually focusing on like solving deforestation in like one small spot and conserving that spot and how the power of companies that are in that area in that local area the power that they have the connectedness that they have in that area to try to solve that problem and actually be that solution, right? It's it's it was interesting to see the the connections there and how that connectedness. Like I think you spoke about it as uh, the connectedness of business with the specific skill sets of like non for profits is like a it's a deadly combo. That's right. Yeah, I think I think maybe one one of the examples I think you're referring to is um you know kind of working really intensively in one spot and really you know being place based about your activities for for sustainability or in case of the, in this case conservation. Um, the example I think I used was Dan Jansen, uh, who's yes. a very yeah. famous you know very distinguished researcher from University of Pennsylvania, uh, and he spent his career basically you know head down studying all types of aspects of ecology, biology, evolutionary biology, uh, and was just a, a machine cranking out scholarship um, and really never made the connection of, you know, what was happening to what he was studying, you know, where, what was happening to these beetles that he was studying or these lizards or whatever species he happened to be looking at, you know, was there some threat to these species? And then he got very involved um, in Costa Rica and really stopped doing this kind of global uh, research where he was working all over the world and in all kinds of habitats and really just settled down into the Guanacaste area in Costa Rica. And that to me was a really powerful example uh, because, you know, I just felt like he could do so much more by focusing all his efforts on this one place and this one issue and this one type of forest than trying to be everywhere all the time and do everything. You know, and it's it's not to criticize folks that are traveling all over the world and spending, you know, two weeks a year in each spot and, you know, running mm-hmm. projects and grants or whatever. That's, you know, I think there's there's some value in that. But I think in terms of solving problems and really engaging with these issues locally, you really kind of got to settle in. You know, there's this, there's a woman we work with uh, in Belize, um, Lisa Carnes. She's does coral restoration, and she's not a scientist, but she's spent you know the last fifteen or twenty years working on coral restoration, and she's basically become as knowledgeable about coral restoration as anybody you know any scientist out there. And I see her speak at these conferences, and she cracks me up because she stands up in front of a room full of scientists and says, you know, we work on this. 24 7 365 a year i'm not coming down on my spring break i don't come down on my summer break <laughs> i don't come down when i've got you know a couple a good long weekend i do this all the time as a full-time job <laughs> and it, you know it wasn't she's kind of like tweaking a little bit the academics because a lot of them are doing these research projects you know when they can when they're not teaching or whatever but i i really think that that kind of focus 
uh, is what we need in certain instances. You know, I think mm-hmm. I sort of pictured myself when I was starting out my career as working in the conservation world and, you know, kind of jet setting around and, you know, spending some time in Madagascar and having a research site in Peru and, you know, swinging through Thailand and, you know, having these, this global conservationist, uh, you know, point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I got sort of drilled in to working in one site in Punta Cana, in one resort, you know, Grupo Punta Cana, uh, and really working on very specific sustainable tourism issues, I felt like I was just having so much more of an impact and was really able to focus my energy on these challenges uh, that I felt like I could contribute way more, you know, and I, you know, sometimes I guess I'm jealous of these jet setters, but in some ways, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, I think in general, my, I feel like my impact is greater when I'm just, you know, nose to the grindstone and cranking on the problems we face on a day-to-day basis in one spot. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the and the power of, of, of businesses to contribute to that one spot because they already have buy-in, right? They already are dedicated to that location. And the more integrated they become in the community and, and everything else, then just seems those sustainability initiatives just have infinite return on investment, right? Which is really, really cool to see just how when you really start to go down the rabbit hole of sustainability and that kind of thing, it it really becomes hard to argue against being sustainable as a company, right? Like it's just for long-term gains, long-term success, it's just, it's really the only way. Like I can't imagine someone successfully arguing the case against it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and you know, I, I the way I explain it often through the book is, you know, my single minded focus and mission is to solve environmental problems. Uh, but, the way that that happens, the way that you sort of co-opt a company into doing that is showing the company how sustainability creates return, you know, creates value for the company. You and have to make it, the business it, case, yeah. That's right. And it, and it really, you know, it's true. It does make the business case. You know, it, it, it's not always a direct, you know, return on investment. I spend this much, I get this much back and it just paid for itself. It's not always like that. Um, but, you know, there's huge... Uh, marketing and image value for companies. That's kind of like the, the low hanging fruit. Um, you know, we call it greening, uh, different from greenwashing, but greening is basically like, you know, in using the good things that you do, uh, to enhance your image as a company. I think that's not necessarily a bad thing if you're really doing the work. Mm-hmm. So greening is an important piece for companies because so much of what we do nowadays as companies is, is your image, what people think of you. The way the the customer perceives you as a company, whether you're a good company or not. Um, another is efficiencies all over the company. There are ways to save money and to produce efficiencies in your operations by thinking through this lens of sustainability. Whether it's energy efficiency, water efficiency, handling your waste better. Uh, you know, as we talked about before, not having to cycle through tons of uh, new employees all the time because you have you know employee retainment. Um, those are that's a big efficiency, and then the other is uh, you know this putting on this innovation mindset, this uh, idea that you know your company is capable of creating these leapfrog moments, whether it's a new technological advance or a new way of ba- doing business that just puts you way ahead of the competition, uh, and not in an incremental way, it just kind of lands you way ahead of the p- competition in one big jump and a leapfrog, um, and sustainability really. Uh, trains your company to to help do that. So I think there's there's real value 
uh, in sustainability. You know, it's not always just a numerical thing where, you know, one plus one equals two. It's sometimes it really is, you know, the way that it changes the culture in your company, when it changes the capacity of your company to do, do, do new things and to adapt to change. Um, and also, you know, the way others and your customers and your visitors and your clients view your company. That's, that's incredibly important. You know, do I yeah. go to, do I go to this resort because I know they're doing good things or I go to another one, even though I know they've raped and pillaged the land, but you know, they've got a really nice swimming pool. Well, a lot of people <laughs> are going to, are going to lean towards the company that's doing the right thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, it just seems like society's moving that way in general, right? Like people, you can't work in a black box anymore as a company. Like everything's just out there, whether you're a publicly traded company or not, it's just things get out. Right. So it's, it, but it's, it, it's just exciting to hear the success that Grupo Punta Cana has had and how, how much success, not just as a company, but as the community has flourished, according to the book, right? Like it seems like everything around there is is just doing well. Like the community, the environment, everything is just seems to be working great, which is awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to, you know, paint a fantasy. You know, we, we really, we still have lots of challenges. You know, every day is a new challenge and the pandemic has really stretched us as an industry uh, in the tourism and travel industry in general. But I think um, part of the resiliency we have as a destination is because of this, you know, real commitment to sustainability. You know, Mm -hmm. we're finding the way and we're always trying to find the way because of uh, the skills and the experience we've had created through this commitment to sustainability, you know, and I think Mm -hmm. that's incredibly important. Uh, One thing I did want to say, I think is also very important. um, You know, when you mentioned how much success we've had, I would say, Part of the reason we've had so much success is because we're not afraid to embrace and share failure. You know, I think a big part of sustainability uh, is really, you know, embracing when you totally flop. You know, you really have to, you know, embrace that because that's how you learn, that's how you improve, and that's really how you build this kind of uh, this resiliency muscle. Uh, be able to, you know, keep going after it and being persevering and you know, keep grinding until you get it right. You know, many of our projects were were not super successful to start with. <laughs> and they, no, they took some yeah. time to get them going and it took some perseverance. And I think that's where the payoff has been is in that process of learning and that process of, of kind of failing forward. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's yeah, not everything's a home run. I don't think you painted that picture in here at all. You painted that it was it was a lot of work and it took a lot of ingenuity and it took a lot of partnerships, a lot of outside sourcing of, of different groups that had different interests and trying to collaborate. And But in the end, like you said, like, yeah, you're going to fail a bunch for sure. But in the end, you're going to come out with something that's super valuable. And it was it was just exciting to see a, a case, like an actual case for for businesses being so integrated into this idea, right? And uh, yeah, you were, you were kind of touching on the idea with the idea of failure, right? And the importance of transparency to to business success and sustainability. Can you just explain that a little bit? Like, what do you mean by transparency in business, and and why is that important? Why is it crucial to like what what you guys have accomplished? One of our realizations over the years has been that you're you know you're not going to get it right the first time you know in and in startups and in you know with entrepreneurs the idea of starting with one idea and realizing that it's it's kind of right but not 100% right and having to pivot that idea 
and pivot the mission of a company or the type of product you sell. You know, in for startups, that's celebrated. That's a good thing. A CEO who's willing to be a little bit flexible and to recognize where their strengths are and where their opportunities are is a good thing. And so I think in yeah. sustainability, you know, we really need to have that same mindset. You know, you're not going to nail it the first time, most of the time. And so you've you really got to be willing to to stick to things and and play around and uh, willing be willing to adapt uh, and make them work. Uh, and and I think that's uh, something that's been really important to us. And again, in for the example of tourism, it, it's to me it's become so obvious that when you are a resort like ours in a destination. You know, we're not competing against the hotel next door to us or the hotel down the road or the hotels uh, to the north of us. In our case, we're all trying to push Punta Cana forward as a destination. You know, we want people to fly into Punta Cana as opposed to flying into, you know, some other destination, Jamaica or Bahamas or Cancun. And so, you know, the more I can do to convince my neighbors and my uh, related companies and, you know, the other hotels in the region to behave better and to do a better job managing their water, their garbage, their energy, uh, their coral reefs, you know, everything I can do in my experience that helps them improve their experience is a win for our destination. And that's been mm -hmm. our mindset um, and, and from our foundation and from, and from Grupo Punta Cana in general. I think that's somewhat rare in companies the willingness to share what you've learned and what you've, you know, what you've succeeded at and what you've really failed at and really try and convince other companies that they should get on board. I think that's becoming um, the norm in Punta Cana. You know, for years, many of the other hotels in the regions just looked at us and said, yeah, well, you guys are just weird because <laughs> your CEO is really into this stuff and, you know, you own and operate the airport. And so you have this, you know, kind of, uh, cash cow, you know, revenue generator that gives you some flexibility to be involved in kooky, you know, sustainability projects. <laughs> and yeah. I think more and more these hotels are saying, wait a minute, you know, our customers care about this stuff. Our employees care about this stuff. The market cares about this stuff if they happen to be, you know, publicly traded. Uh, and now, you know, in many of these hotel chains that are, you know, second, third, fourth generation, that later newer generation coming through is a little more schooled in sustainability. They're not the kind of the old school founder of the company or whatever, the, you know, from a different era. Now they're coming up and, you know, they're you know, from good families and they're getting invited to these big conferences and they're, you know, they're going to these big meetings and the people are asking them, what's your company doing? You know, what, what are you into? What's your sustainability yeah. mission? What are you guys contributing to the conversation? And if you yeah. don't have an answer to that, then it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> so, right. so I think, right. you know, now many of these companies are no longer looking at Punta Cana as this kind of quirky group of weirdos that have been worm composting for 15 years. They're looking at <laughs> us as, you know, a potential source of ideas and things that they could apply on their own property. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It just, it just drives that innovation, right? People want to be a part of something good and yeah, I just, I no, I really, I really enjoyed everything in the book, and it was, it really painted some some really clear pictures of how to start down this process. Even though it was very based in the in the resort world, right? And that's not my world, but it still it gets you thinking that way a little bit, right? And which I really, really liked. And something near the end of the book, 
which I, I really appreciated uh, as the as the kind of the final chapter to kind of sum things up was uh, the quote by Ulysses S. Grant about you know not overthinking things like how do I begin where do we, where do we start this thing right and uh, I'll just say the quote but uh, anything is better than indecision we must decide if I am wrong we shall soon find out and we can do the other thing but not to decide waste both time and money and may ruin everything. And I love that idea because I think that's where a lot of companies are. It's not that they don't want to be involved in sustainability. They don't want to be, you know, they, they want to be a solution. They want to be part of the solution, but they don't know where to begin. And so they're, they're kind of lost in indecision, right? So what is your advice to, to people? Uh, and it doesn't have to be to like, you know, I don't think there's too many CEOs listening to this podcast, but people that are, you know, working for a company, how do those people go about you know, helping their company to make these decisions and to commit to something and just start down this path of sustainability. I think the, the, the key is, is, is action. Um, you know, that, that section with the, with the quote from uh, Ulysses S. Grant about, you know, needing to act uh, is, a, is in reference to a company um, called Iberostar. The group of Iberostar is a Big um, Spanish chain uh, with hotels. They're now global. They're all over the world, um, but they're very active in the Caribbean and in the Dominican Republic. Uh, and they, a few years ago, came up with this program called Waves of Change, and they've made the ocean and protecting the ocean kind of their singular focus, and then had that sort of radiate out into the operations of their company. So that is reducing single-use plastic so that it doesn't end up in the ocean working on restoring marine habitats in areas where they operate hotels, uh, really thinking about the types of purchasing they do within the resorts. Within, you know, they're generally large, all-inclusive resorts, so that they're not buying you know, species of fish and seafood that are endangered or they're not contributing to unsustainable practices. And they really just jumped in deep uh, with this. And, and it really did not seem to occur to them that, you know, they're a company that's been around for, I don't know, 50, 60 years or more. Uh, and, you know, up until this program, I think they had done some things and, and done some work in different ways, but never sort of a focused program in this way. Uh, and I applaud that, you know, I think it's fantastic that they just got in so deep and it wasn't like, oh, well, you know, should we start incrementally or, you know, this isn't our thing. So let's start with one program and build from there. They said, no, you know, we're going to go all out with this waves of change program. And I think that is the type of action that we need with companies. Uh, don't be humble and shy about the whole thing. Don't be uh, timid. Like, let's, let's get into it. Let's, you guys are experts in your field and in your industry your business, you're a successful business for some reason. So you have the capacity to take on this new idea of sustainability and add value to it uh, in your area, in your region, in your business, in your industry. I think that's really the place where we are um, for many companies. So I think if you're an investment firm, if you're an architecture firm, if you're a building firm, you know, hopefully we'll stop talking about, you know, sustainable architecture or sustainable building. That'll just be the norm, right? Like yeah. that'll be the baseline. And from there, you're either just a really good company or you're not. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think that's kind of where we need to get companies to start thinking is, you know, 
if any of these industries you work in, whether it's investing, banking, you know, architecture, tourism, whatever, um, be the best in your company and be the most successful uh, and most uh, sustainable in the ways that you can, because you already know your industry better than anybody else. You know, you already know your field better than any other company. And so you know where the challenges are, where the problems are, and very likely you know where the solutions are if you're willing to confront them. I think that's that's kind of the mindset that we have to take to that. Now, how do we get to that point is, you know, you got to have some people inside pushing this agenda. You know, I think too mm-hmm. often within companies, sustainability is kind of, you know, housed out in the, you know, a side project of the PR department or, you know, it's a marketing deal or it's part of the, the maintenance department in hotels. Um, but you got to have somebody who's, this is their number one agenda. This is what they're working on all the time. And they become your chief problem solver of sustainability issues. And then, you know, let it grow from there as you see that it creates value for the company. You got to see end up with the same problem, right? Because you just have one person or two people trying to solve all the company's issues, but it takes the entire company, right? It takes it takes a community to do that. So I, I think, do you think that a good place to start for for people would be to convince their company to like just send out kind of like that Shark Tank thing, like a, just an email, you know, company wide memo, just saying like, hey, we want to hear your problems. And we're going to distribute those problems as a list and people can go through them and try to to solve them. And we can see where the solution comes from because to think that only the, you know, the executive people have the answers is I think folly, but. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I I think engaging your employees and your collaborators in the, in the process of problem solving uh, is incredibly powerful. And Um, you know, you don't want to turn it into like a gripe fest. <laughs> you know, it's like here, what are the major issues? Oh, it's like we don't get paid enough. Okay, <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah, that's not exactly. The what are the issues issue. to you accomplishing your goal as a job? Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. not, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I do, I do think that engaging the employees in creative ways and having them point out things that could be improved, places that uh, within the within the company that could be, um, you know, that that really need to be addressed. You know, sometimes. You know, the high level executive is not really seeing what's happening in the weeds. And so sometimes there's there's a lot of things that can be cleared up uh, and, and a lot of solutions that can be found that have a profound impact on your, you know, your consumption patterns, on your spending, on your waste production, on your consumption of water or, or, or energy. Um, the, the answers are often right inside the building, right? They, yeah. the, the solutions are often already housed uh, within the company. And it's a matter of engaging and really, you know, taking advantage of these, these the skills you have, you know, finding that bartender who wants to make recycled plastic out of bottle caps is really an important and, and powerful mission for really any company. Yeah, no, it's very cool. It's it's not something that I, I, I got reading this book that it was, you need to be a high level executive to try to initiate this. This is something that anybody and everybody can do if you just start. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I, one of my favorite examples is a, a guy who he sort of has my job, but in the ski industry, uh, Auden Schendler works at the Aspen Ski Resort, and he's been doing sustainability work there for, for a long time. Uh, and, you know, the, he's well known for hanging out in the maintenance shop and, you know, kind of <laughs> jiving yeah. with the, the maintenance guys and the machinists to figure out what kind of problems they have. And then, ways that he can infiltrate 
the their operations and things they're doing to have a minimizing impact impact on the environment. I think that's you know incredibly important. You know, the the, the a lot of the solutions are at you know the ground level of the company going up. You know, hopefully your CEO and your C-suite folks are all bought into sustainability and really want to see it happen and celebrate those small victories happening on the ground. But a lot of the work is going to happen on the ground. Yeah. No, it's something you repeated a bunch of times was uh, that there's way too many philosophers, way too many big ideas and not enough grunts, not enough people willing to do the work. And uh, no, I, th- I think I, I, I really enjoyed the book, man. Like this was, it was really enjoyable. I got, I think I got a lot of good takeaways from it. Started to paint a good picture of how, you know, businesses can be the solution that we're looking for and, and how people can, you know, employees and people can start to contribute to that. So I, yeah, I just, I really appreciate it. I don't know if you have any final thoughts you wanted to, uh, something else you wanted to say, some final advice or something before we finish things off. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you saying that. You know, I tried to make the book um, as accessible as possible. You know, I didn't want to have a textbook that only, you know, sustainability nerds could understand. I really wanted to make it something that was just kind of an enjoyable read that people could, you know, pull lessons out, whether it's in their sort of lifestyle or in their own jobs or or hopefully something that could have a sort of a replicating impact in other companies. And I think the whole idea of waking the sleeping giant is – um, we can make transformational change if we get existing companies and and companies that at the moment are not contributing a whole lot to the sustainability conserva- conversation. If we can get these companies engaged in thinking about sustainability as a value proposition for their company, thinking about sustainability as really not just solving someone else's problem, but solving their own problems and contributing to their own benefit – I think we can really have a big transformative impact on some of the major challenges we're facing around the world. I think that was my goal. The writing the book, um, you know, I never really uh, thought about the experiences I was having as Punta Cana as anything uh, beyond, uh, you know, the realm and the importance of our own company. But the more time I've spent on it, the more times I've spent with other companies and working with other partners, I've seen that. What we've picked up along the years in Grupo Punta Cana has a huge amount of value for sharing with other companies and helping them on their own sustainability journey. And for young people that are getting into this field, young people that are just thinking about sustainability, you know, you don't necessarily have to start a new company to have a big impact. You can get into mm-hmm. an existing company and you can really turn it's on turn it on its head and get you know the existing companies to really have a major impact. I think that's uh, a transformative power that companies have and and frankly one that's a little bit untapped and one that we can really unlock this this hidden power. Absolutely. Well that, that was it was part of the picture that you painted well I think was that you don't have to be a marine biologist or conservation researcher or you know you don't have to be in a, a a green job or whatever to be part of the sustainability solution. You could be a steelworker or a bricklayer or whatever. And and there's there's opportunities in every job where you can apply these these ideas, which I no, I think I think you did an excellent job, man. I think you should be proud, and I think there's definitely a lot of value here that that people can get out of it and and apply it to their everyday lives. So thank you so much for for writing it, and thanks for taking the time to talk to me. It's been really enjoyable. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and thanks for your your kind words about the book. 
Thanks a lot for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. I know I got some takeaways and I feel a little more confident about what sustainability is and how to do it. So uh, I hope you left that conversation feeling empowered and inspired. I know I did. And uh, yeah, lots of cool conversations coming. Uh, Yeah, tell your friends, rate and review, share it on social media, all those kind of things help. I really appreciate it. And we'll catch you guys next time. Take it easy.